Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied abundantly unto you all through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You may be seated. You could put the... uh, It's not my fault, you know. Or maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't know that at all. Maybe it's the easiest to pin the blame on me. And so that's what you do, because you do. I hear it all the time. All of the blaming you do. It becomes so comical, I've taken to refer to it as the blame game. All the finger pointing, all the fault finding. It's not as though you're even very original about it. It always seems to come down to something like this. It's the serpent's fault. If that slippery snake hadn't been there whispering its honey words of temptation. Or, you know, the blame really lies on the woman. If Eve hadn't been so weak-willed, none of this would have happened. Or, why did Adam give in? Why didn't he just say no? But in the end, it always comes back to me the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the tree's fault. If it hadn't been planted there, right in the center of the garden, waving its tempting fruit like some advertisement eat. And though though it's not my fault, and it's not, I still hear it all the time. If it hadn't been for that accursed tree, if that tree wasn't there, If that tree hadn't been planted there, and then worst of all, if God hadn't planted that tree there in the garden. Don't you think I haven't heard that one before? In fact, it reared its ugly head the very day of the crime. The woman gave me the fruit, Adam said. The woman that you gave to me as though it was God's fault, as though it could be God's fault, and it can't, as though it was God who somehow sinned. Impossible. God is a loving God, after all, a good God. And to accuse God? Well, isn't that blaming God for human shortcomings, for your very human inclination to disobey. No, it isn't God's fault. God is good. And for that matter, so am I. I'm a good tree. I'm a tree of knowledge. I mean, even the serpent saw that. The tree is good, that slippery serpent said. And in fact, at least, that serpent was correct. I am good, for God made me that way after all. Eve saw it too. The tree is pleasant to the eye, she said, at the serpent's prompting. And I must agree, I am pleasant, for God made me that way after all. But then that serpent tightened its grip, tightened its tempting grip as surely as it tightened its scaly coils around my trunk that day. If this tree is so good, that old snake hissed, then its fruit must be good, too. 
and the coils tighten further, good enough to eat. The serpent smiled, truly a tree to be desired. And that finally is the problem, isn't it? Not me, and certainly not God, but good old human desire, desire that goes against God's will. I couldn't help but overhear the gospel lesson that was just read. Remember that fellow Judas? There's someone who was encoiled, as it were, in desire. Desire for something as simple and accessible as the coins in the disciples' money bag. How did the lesson put it? Bluntly, I think. He used to steal it. That's what it said. Well, there weren't an awful lot of mental gymnastics required in that scenario. Now we're there. No implications of something being good or pleasant or God's intention. Nope. Like my fruit in the eyes of Eve and Adam, that money was simply something to be desired and therefore to be taken. And is that so bad? Desiring, taking? Well, as a matter of fact, yes, it is. Because... Come on, folks. It's not as though there aren't rules. Don't eat from this tree happens to be one of them. And don't murder. And don't steal. And don't commit adultery and honor your parents. There are rules, whether involving a tree like me or whether carved into a stone. There are rules. And the fact that there are rules shouldn't surprise anybody either. Why, if you read the very first chapter of the Bible, you can see that God was creating an orderly universe. Orderly universe. One that operates by rules as basic as plants, such as myself, grow from seeds and re reproduce things like themselves. So do animals and so do human beings like yourselves. A pregnant woman doesn't give birth to a duck, for goodness sake. A peach tree doesn't produce jalapeno peppers, thank heaven. All of creation operates by rules, good rules, intended by their author to make life safe and ordered, to give direction and protection. There are rules. And there are roles as well. Read Genesis 1. There you will find that the moon, for example, is placed in the sky with a purpose, to give light by night. The moon doesn't swim in the ocean or eat grass in a pasture and then give milk, nor do cows fly, although birds do. According to God's good plan, everything in creation has a role to play. And the most profound role? I am God. And you are creatures. And those roles are good. Admit it. None of you could ever come close to doing a good job of being God. Oh, you might think you could, 
But where, honestly, would it all end up? And for an answer to that question, look no farther than Eve. When it comes right down to it, that was Eve's problem in the beginning. And Adam's refusing to accept the role which the Lord God, in his infinite wisdom and goodness, had assigned to them, not creators, but creatures, not gods, but people. God is the God here. People are the people. Throughout much of the rest of the Bible, God will continue to stress that fact, stress that relationship. It will come to have a name called covenant. And the covenant in its simplest form is this. I will be God. You will be people. And then one wonderful modification. I will be your God. And you will be my people. What makes that wonderful difference possible? What seals that wonderful covenant? Why? A tree. Not me, of course. No, I'm just the first tree of Lent. Under my boughs occurred the catastrophic event that made Lent necessary. Beneath my branches in the Garden of Eden, paradise was crossed out. And so I suppose I mark a kind of crossroads in your history where human beings made the wrong choice, breaking the rules and trying to reverse the roles. And I suppose while I still hold that, it is not my fault and it isn't, I can't exactly fault you for looking at me with disdain. I can't conjure up great memories for you. So perhaps... I should do the service of pointing you, at least in the direction of another tree this day, this, the very first day of Lent. In many Christian congregations, the beginning of Lent is symbolized with ashes. Ashes that come usually from a tree. And actually, a palm tree. That tree was once used rightly. Its branches waved by creatures, God's people, in praise and adoration of their creator and Lord. But ashes nonetheless, their branches destroyed in flame, its life now gone. Ashes can remind you that death is now part of the equation for us. For you are dust, and unto dust you shall return. But you can thank your good, orderly, loving God that that tree is not the last tree of Lent. Even as its ashes are a stark reminder of death, there is in them yet an element of hope, for they are formed into the sign of the cross. That is the tree toward which we move this Lenten tide, a tree whose fruit you all one day will savor in another garden, perhaps, prepared by our loving God 
paradise for you. No, I'm not the last tree of Lent, nor is that, nor is that palm tree burnt to ashes and smeared on foreheads. There is another, the tree at which this Lenten journey will end. Behold the life-giving tree of the cross, on which was hung the salvation of the world. That's how some Lenten liturgies put it. With that tree, that cross, the great chasm formed in Eden will be crossed, so to speak, at, at last, forever. To get from me to that tree, you will be visiting several other trees on your Lenten journey. An oak tree, for example, where Abraham got a glimpse of God's grand plan, impossible though it seemed at the time. A bush aflame in the wilderness, burning feverishly before the shepherd Moses, but not consumed. And then there's Jonah, whose story includes not only a fish, but also a plant, which has come to symbolize how God so loved the world. The first psalm points to a tree planted by a river as an example for godly growth and goodly fruit-bearing. And with Zacchaeus, you will climb a sycamore tree to see what a life-changing difference Jesus Christ can make. It's not my fault, you know. Even so, it all begins here beneath the shade of my leaves where Adam and Eve once stood naked and condemned, as does all of humanity. But look through my branches. In the far distance, another tree awaits where the very Son of God took upon himself the role of a servant, the role of a sacrifice the role of a savior. Look through my branches, for I am the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree where sin began to plague this world. Even now, look through my branches and in the distance, behold the life-giving tree of the cross on which was hung the salvation of the world.